the water can go from smooth to wavy, back to smooth, back to wavy. And then there's just this bus that's like kind of backed into the lake, just in the middle of nowhere. That is Rochelle Byrne, fresh from the water after paddling more than 400 kilometers on Lake Ontario in a single month. If you're wondering why she decided to take on this challenge, it's because she doesn't just love Lake Ontario, she's looking out for it. Rochelle Byrne is our guest on episode two of Unsalted, a podcast for people who work, live and play on the Great Lakes. I'm Allison Devereaux, your host. My guest, Rochelle Byrne, founded the nonprofit A Greener Future to help clean up Lake Ontario shores. She has organized hundreds of shoreline cleanups, but the pandemic changed things. It's not the best time to bring together big groups of people. So Rochelle decided to take it to the water, socially distant, collecting garbage along the way. The route she mapped out began in Kingston. It ended in Niagara-on-the-Lake, she basically did the North Shore east to west, passing Prince Edward County, Oshawa, Toronto, Hamilton. One month, about 420 kilometers or 260 miles. When it all ended, Rochelle took a really big nap. And then she and I had the chance to catch up. What I really wanted to know was what type of litter is out on Lake Ontario? At the beginning, uh, there was days where I didn't find anything. I actually had a little hook that was attached to my paddleboard. It's just like a little hook that's Velcroed on so that you can dip your paddle into the, the water and pull out whatever's nearby. A lot of times if it was something small, I just grabbed it with my hand um, because it, it can be tricky to maneuver a hook in the water. But um, I, I didn't find as much garbage actually in the water as I thought I would. And um, as I cl got closer to the GTA, that's when I really started to find things. And a lot of it is single use stuff. So like paper cups and um, straws and, and plastic bottle caps and that kind of thing. But one thing that really stuck with me is when I was coming pretty close into Toronto, there was uh, a sewage bypass that happened, which means that at the sewage treatment plant, if there's high water levels or a big storm, a lot of times they have to release the sewage raw into the lake. Otherwise, it will back up into people's homes because they can't process it fast enough. I witnessed that. I did see a whole bunch of raw sewage floating in the lake and it was pretty disturbing. It was pretty smelly. Um, that stuff I, I didn't feel comfortable picking up. Um, but it's, yeah, it's pretty gross to actually see that in real life. Were you on your paddleboard at the time? Were you on the water? Yeah, I was. Like, I don't know. Oh my gosh. I don't know exactly what time it happened because it kind of like, it was just like a whole streak. And I just kept passing like tampons and condoms and like chunks of like compacted toilet paper. And yeah, it was gross. I was nervous about falling in. So I was very careful. Luckily that day it wasn't wavy. So I was, I was pretty good. <laughs> You know, the funny thing about paddleboarding is when you have one of those days that's like glass, it feels like the easiest, most chill activity. But if it gets even a little bit wavy, you're you're working for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that was one of the biggest challenges I faced. I tried to 
make sure that I wasn't going out if there was a thunderstorm warning or if the winds got over 15 kilometers an hour, because at that point, if you're paddling against that kind of wind, you're not making enough progress to even be out there. So um, there was times that with the wind even under 10 kilometers an hour, there was still pretty big waves, um, which makes it harder. But I think it's more mental than anything because it feels like you're going nowhere when you're trying to like get over all these waves but when I look at um, the speed I was going because I had a GPS with me so it kind of monitored me all the way across and even when there was waves I was making progress but I also had to work a lot harder and I couldn't stop and take a break because the waves would be pushing me backwards so that was definitely one of the most challenging things is, is like working against the wind and the waves and also trying to, to like keep that endurance up and make sure that I'm not tiring myself out too much so that I know that I can actually get there. Right. You must've seen such spectacular scenery. I'm curious about what you saw along the way. Yeah. So I, I did see a few things that surprised me. Um, Like I did see there was like part of a bus that was like backed up into the water just in the middle of nowhere. Like there was, yeah. There was part of a bus backed up into the water? Yeah. And it looked like it had been there for like years and years and years. And um, I did see a waterfall, which I didn't know that we had waterfalls in, in like our end of the the lake, but it was actually in Whitby Um, and lots of wildlife. Um, more wildlife than I expected for sure. Can we go back to this bus for a moment? (laughs) Yeah. Did it look almost like a shipwreck? Like the back end of it was sticking up? Kind of. So it was like backed into the water and it was like a yellow school bus. Um, And it, I don't know, like it must've, it must've been there for like 50 years because it was like rusting out. Um, like especially the back where the waves could like hit it Um, but yeah I took some pictures of it and it's just like there's just trees everywhere like forest everywhere there's no like houses nearby or anything and then there's just this bus that's like kind of backed into the lake is it half in half out it's probably three quarters out okay yeah, yeah, that would have been that would have caught your eye for sure. <laughs> yeah. What about the wildlife? What did you see? Uh, definitely a lot of birds every day. Um, especially at the beginning, there was a lot of loons, and then as I got closer to Toronto, um, a lot of like cormorants and and different kinds of ducks and that kind of thing. I saw a lot of stuff on the shore too. So I, I saw foxes, and um, I even saw beavers like uh, around Toronto Island. So. It was pretty cool, especially if you go out really early in the morning. That's when you see a a lot of the wildlife in action. Um, But yeah, I I think I saw a different species every single time I went out. Oh, that that must have kept you going at times. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Is there a particular moment or a stretch of scenery that you think will really stay with you over time? The shoreline of Lake Ontario is so diverse because you go from from Kingston and then um, like all through Prince Edward County. It's the water's like a turquoise color in some areas, which is really cool. Um, And then there's like bluffs in some areas and like I saw that waterfall and then there's sand dunes and it's just like the ecosystems are constantly changing. As I approached Toronto, it was all urban 
and you know like buildings everywhere and and then I would end up like back out in wilderness again so it was really cool just to see the diversity in the ecosystems and and like you know just the changes in the in the habitats and the and like obviously the water quality too. As an environmentalist as you were you know going through this terrain and the ecology was changing along the way was there anything you saw that was disheartening? I mean, you you told me about the sewage. Yeah, yeah. And there was definitely some areas that smelled really bad. Um, and I don't know if it was due to like pollution. Um, there was some areas where I, I picked up more garbage and stuff that that you wouldn't think would be in, in the lake necessarily. So um, we pick up these things called wiper balls often, and they're made of like a, a rubber um, and they come from factories. They're for cleaning pipes and factories. And um, I did pick up a few of those like all in one spot. Um, there was definitely a lot of spots where the water wasn't as clear. A lot of places I didn't want to fall in and I didn't fall in the whole time. So that was great. You made it to the end without falling in? I did. Yeah. <laughs> Not once. As a casual paddleboarder myself, I've fallen in so many times that is that's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah well part of it's because of the board I had too. because starboard gave me a touring board so it's 14 feet long and uh 30 inches wide so it is very stable oh so you were pat you were paddling a boat yes basically. yeah <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah awesome. yeah and so tell me a bit more about the garbage you were picking up and the garbage you were seeing I'm curious what it's like out there yeah, so I didn't pick up as much garbage as I thought, but I think that's because when I was paddling, I was only picking up what was basically in my direct path. Um, so we did have our team on the shore, like wherever I went, they were going along and doing litter cleanups on the shore and they picked up a lot more than I did. Um, I think in total, I might've picked up around like 30 pieces out of the lake and they picked up about 30,000. Um, maybe even more. We don't don't have our final number yet, but um, yeah, they were picking up a lot more. And I think it's because every day stuff keeps washing in constantly. Um, but where I was paddling, if it wasn't in my direct view, then I, I probably missed it. So um, there was definitely some stuff that was floating by me and I always stopped to grab it if I could. Um, but yeah, a, a majority of it, either ends up washing into the shore or sinking. Um, and I did see like some cans and bottles and tires and stuff on the bottom in the areas that were clear. And you had said earlier that in the Toronto area around the GTA, it was mostly single use plastics. What about your friends on the shoreline? What did they find? Same thing. A lot of it is plastic. Um, and a lot of it is stuff that is completely avoidable if we could come up with better ways to package things or, um, you know, like even bringing our own reusable options when when that's allowed in all places. Again, like bringing your own water bottle or, or coffee cup, that kind of thing, um, because a lot of what we do pick up is is plastic. Um, and I think that's mainly because it floats in easily. Um, and it doesn't degrade. So it breaks up into smaller pieces, but it doesn't ever just go away because it's not organic. So um, some things that like paper, if a napkin flies into the water, it's it's not going to take long for it to break apart and actually like 
disappear. But with something like a plastic water bottle, it's going to be floating around for a very long time. And eventually the sun and, and the elements are, are going to kind of break it apart into smaller pieces, but it's not actually going to dissolve. So um, because things can stick around in the lake so long, eventually they do wash up and, and then we end up picking them up. What was your hardest day on the board? I think the, the hardest day was actually in the Bay of Quinty. Um, so with Prince Edward County, it kind of sticks out into the water. It's an island. And I had the choice of either going around the bottom um, or around the top. So I chose to go around the top because the bottom can be really windy and wavy. Um, and I thought going through the Bay of Quinty would be a lot easier, but um, it turned out that I had to uh, like cross a lot of open water. There was a period where I had to paddle for five hours straight, like really hard, um, because the wind and the waves were were so like pushing so hard against me. I felt like I was going nowhere, but I knew I had to keep going. Otherwise, I was never going to get out of it. So <laughs> by the end of that day, I was I was definitely ready to get out of the water. How many hours a day were you paddling on average? Uh, between about three and nine. Three and nine. Yeah, it depended on there was one day where I had to get out of the water early because the waves did pick up too much. And it, I just I, I knew I wouldn't be able to make it much farther. So I did get out after seven and a half kilometers. But my longest day was 40 kilometers. So on a day where you would be paddling nine hours, which hour would be the toughest one? Usually the first hour. But then I kind of like my body gets a little bit warmed up and broken in and and then I don't even really think about the physical part of it. I just kind of keep going. Um, but some days were really hot. So by mid-afternoon, if I was paddling all day, like two, three o'clock when it starts to get really hot, and if there's no like cloud cover at all, it can be very draining just because you're hot and tired and you want to get there. But um, it's really helpful when you can kind of like see the end and you can see it kind of like getting closer and closer and closer as you paddle. So, I mean, as hard as it is at the time, by the time you get to your destination, it's it's definitely worth it. And you kind of forget about the struggle on the way there. How rocky would those waters get? Were you able to still paddle through them or were you on your knees or just trying to hold on to the board? Yeah, so um, if it did get really windy or wavy, I would go down on my knees just because it's easier to make progress because when you're standing up, you're basically acting like a big sail. So the wind is just pushing against you. So um, getting lower to the board is definitely key if you're going into wind, um, just like a lot of focus and just paddling really hard to like get clear of the of the really wavy spots because throughout the day, like the the water can go from smooth to wavy, back to smooth, back to wavy, like it, it changes a lot. So um, I knew if I was in an area that was really hard to get through that it wouldn't last forever. What was the biggest mental challenge of it all? Um, I think just pushing through like each day and, and like trying to take the time to enjoy it. There was definitely lots of memorable and like enjoyable moments, which is awesome. But there are times where you're just tired and you want to get there. And I did get rained on a few times. Like one was an actual downpour where I got soaked. Um, and 
I think just the the physical part of it, like where you're getting up early, you're you're out on the water. It might be really hot, it might be windy, um, and you just have to get from point A to point B. Generally, when people paddleboard, that's not how it is. They usually go out for a good time and just like paddle around, see cool things. But when you're on a mission to get to the end of 420 kilometers, it kind of changes your mindset a little bit. Now, while facing those challenges, did you learn anything about yourself? Um, yeah, I think I did ha- obviously have a lot of time to think. Doing 420 kilometers on a paddleboard, to someone who's never paddleboard before, it might not sound that challenging. But once you're actually out there in it, it was a lot harder than I thought. I think like just going through something that really, really pushes your boundaries and challenges you just shows you that if there is something that you want to do, um, you can always figure out a way to do it. That's a lesson you'll have with you your whole life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You said there were some really enjoyable and memorable moments. Now that you're back on land, what are the ones that are kind of sticking out for you? At the beginning, I was alone a lot of the time because it's a lot of wilderness out that way. Um, so I didn't see a lot of people, but then when I got closer to the GTA, it was really nice to see the smiling faces on the shoreline and people that would wave to me. And um, by the time I got to like the Durham region, some people had started following along and reaching out on social media. So it was really nice to have support from from different people, a lot of them who I, I've never met, coming out to the shoreline and waving to me and saying hi. Um, and then in Toronto, I had the Toronto Island SUP and the Lake Surfistas group come join me and paddle with me. So it was really fun to have other people who enjoy the sport and also have an appreciation for the environment come out and we could have good conversations and paddle together and, you know, just kind of share the experience. So before I wrap up these interviews, I kind of like to do a a rapid fire round. Are you game to do one? Yeah, for sure. Okay. What worries you the most about Lake Ontario? That people don't understand the problem and that we won't be able to come up with a solution. What do you love most about Lake Ontario? That it's drinking water to over 9 million people and habitat for like thousands of species. Favorite day on the lake? Going through the Toronto Islands. Most memorable sunrise? So I did get up really early and I was at Humber Bay Park West. And there's a colony of cormorants that live um, in Tommy Thompson Park on the on the one side of Toronto. And every morning they like fly out to go find a place where they want to go eat their breakfast, I suppose. And I got caught right in the middle of that. So there was like thousands of birds that were flying like on either side of me and above me for about half an hour straight. And that was so cool. What did it feel like to be in the middle of all that? I mean, I'm glad that they're really good navigators because none of them hit me. So that was really <laughs> good. But I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe like how long it went on for. And there was so many and they all fly in a line and the lake was really peaceful. So it was just amazing to see. I've never seen that many birds in one place. Item of garbage that you see washed up on the shore that makes you the most mad. Cigarette butts. Oh, interesting. Okay. Why that particularly? Because they are very dangerous. The filters actually made out of plastic. So it's microfibers all wound together to make the filter. So when they go into the lake and start breaking apart, we can't clean that up. That's like 
in the lake for good, basically, because uh, we don't have filters that that can clean that up. And all the toxins that are in the cigarette filter are also being released into the water, um, which is definitely not good. And the, the filters can be mistaken for food by a lot of birds and other wildlife that are in the in the lake. So they're just so hazardous because they're small and they're toxic message you would like to impart on anyone who lives on or near Lake Ontario? Every action counts. So like whether that's picking up litter or, um, you know, just taking the time to learn about the lake, learn about the species, learn how you can help get involved, Um, like getting involved with the Greener Future is great if you want to come out to a litter cleanup, but there's lots of other organizations that are doing great work on Lake Ontario. So there's lots to be learned and lots to take part in. Um, And I think that's, that's what's most important is that we all kind of come together and um, make Lake Ontario the best it can be. Okay, well, I feel lucky to be able to talk to you pretty much when you're you've just wrapped this up and had that amazing rest and it's still fresh on your mind. So thank you for agreeing to chat with me today. It was really nice. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. That is Rochelle Byrne. What a memorable adventure and a cool idea. I did ask Rochelle if she's been seeing more PPE, given the number of people wearing single-use masks. She said definitely more than previous years, but less than she expected. Now, she is finding a lot of PPE at inland cleanups near stores or places where putting on a mask is mandatory, less so at the beach. Another thing, what is the story behind that school bus Rochelle mentioned? So it was like backed into the water and it was like a yellow school bus. It must have been there for like 50 years because it was like rusting out. If you want to see it yourself, Rochelle shared a photo of that bus sticking out. It's on our Instagram account. Rochelle also shared the coordinates with me. So if you are super curious and you want to try to locate it, let me know. I mean, we can't all be Dusty Cliffman finding these sunken ships. Some of us have to settle for finding the bus. Oh, speaking of Dusty, who was our first guest on episode one, listen to this review someone left on Apple Podcasts after hearing it. This episode made me want to go steal some boat stuff from the underwater world. But like Allison, I'm also afraid of diving. This is clearly a joke. I just haven't figured out who posted it yet. If you have it in you, please rate and review the podcast and get in touch if you want those coordinates for the bus. Send an email to unsaltedpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. Just look up the hashtag unsaltedpod. Coming up on episode three. It's 90% the best job looking out the window and seeing beautiful Lake Superior or Lake Huron. But then there's that 10% where the world is ending and everything's going wrong. Michael Hartsuff has quite a job. He's the relief captain for three ships on the Great Lakes. Ones you have maybe seen on the water passing by. The Edgar B. Spear, the Edwin H. Gott, the Roger Blau. Now, if you have ever wondered what life on those ships is like, Michael's going to fill us in. I hope you'll join us for that conversation on the next Unsalted.